Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. I have been talking recently about the two aspects of salvation. First of all, I like to replace the word saved with belonging to God because being saved has so much theological trapping to it. So the question is, who belongs to God? And that is the first aspect of salvation. If you belong to God, you are going to be with him at some time in the future. It's a promise. To be with him, you must be in a righteous condition. So God is in the process of creating creating us as righteous so that we can come into his presence at some time in the future. The children of Israel belong to God. That is my conclusion from my work in Scripture. They belong to God. That occurred at the time of the Passover event in Egypt when God said, You are my firstborn son. And God then refers to himself as their father. By this, they, be, they belong to him as, as his children, as his firstborn son. His children, they belong to him. And he calls them his firstborn son, but it refers to all the children of Israel are his firstborn son. They are his firstborn son and he is their father. They belong to him. That is the first aspect of salvation from death to life. We die if we come before God in a sinful condition. We have to be righteous. Now, for those who are not Jews, they are called Gentiles. The Gentiles belong to God. They get added to the family of God by their faith in God's Son. And by that faith, they belong to God. They have been added to God's family. And they also have the promise of future eternal life at some time when they will be rescued from death to life. That's the first aspect of salvation. Now, the second aspect of salvation is to to be rescued from the bondage that the world puts us in. And we remember the account of the Exodus and when God parted the Red Sea, he was rescuing or delivering or saving the children of Israel from being returned to bondage as slaves in Egypt. That's the second aspect of salvation. Now, for Jews, that's what they focus on. They don't even think about belonging to God. They know they belong to God, so why, why even think about it? So they focus on the second aspect of salvation, which is to is is to claim wholeness of life now in their life now. They do that by studying the law so that they can walk in God's ways. And God also has a process of testing whereby he allows us to to bring consequences upon ourselves by our ungodly behavior and in that way it's it's a form of instruction to teach us to turn to him. Now for Gentile believers, we saw that uh, they have received the promise of the Spirit so that the law is now written on their hearts. We haven't gotten rid of the law. It's just that we don't have to put the laws in our head. We've got it in our heart, but we have to activate what's in our heart, and we do that by the faith and love of Christ. What I want to do in this session is I want to talk about the biblical irony of freedom, because... We want to be free from the bondage to the world. 
The world puts us in bondage. It 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 deceives us. It makes us think things that are are not true. It makes us think that you know a, a going to the university and getting a, a high degree will will make sure we get a good job, or that if we have a lot of money, we can buy cars. You know, we'll be happy. This is all deceit on the part of the world. True happiness is joy with God in in peace and harmony with God. So we have an irony going on here between being in bondage, which is being a slave, and being free, which means we're not in bondage, we're not a slave. The irony is that true freedom, if it's without law, we've put ourselves into the clutches of the world. So true freedom is to become a slave in bondage to God. That's true freedom. I want to talk about this irony in this session. It's um, I, th- I think we're going to have fun with it. And the bottom line is that if you want to be truly free, you have to be a slave in the service of God. But let- let's have fun with it. All right, there are three kinds of slavery. The first is forced slavery. We're well aware of that because of the history, the, the, the history of the United States by bringing African slaves over. That's forced slavery. The children of Israel were forced to be slaves in Egypt. This is forced slavery. And uh, we read about this forced slavery in Exodus. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. Rigorously is the Hebrew perek, which means with violence and torment. So those who are forced to be in bondage um, are living in a life of violence and torment. Now, the second kind of bondage is very interesting, and Paul talks about it, so I want to spend a little bit of time on it. And that is, in a sense, it's forced slavery, but it's forced slavery which is positive and rewarding. And that's the slavery of children. Children are in bondage. They they can't do whatever they want to do. You know, if we let them do whatever they want to do, they're, they're not trained yet in how to walk in ways that are safe and righteous. They have to be trained in that. So until they're trained in it, until they become adults, they they have to be in bondage to their parents. But it's a positive and rewarding kind of uh, bondage. Now, Paul talks about this in Galatians. He says, before faith came, all right, now he's talking about the Jews who had the law, which taught them how to walk in, in righteous ways. Before faith came, we, we Jews, were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. So we had the law, but the law was not setting us free. What sets us free is walking in the law, doing the law. That's what sets us free. And then Paul continues, he says, as long as the heir is a child. So the, this is another example, okay? He's, we've got children who are in bondage under the law. You know, they're, they're, li- li- they're children. They need to have rules. You need to tell them, you have to go to bed by 7.30 at night because you have school tomorrow. So the rule is go to bed by 7.30. That's bondage. It's, it's a form of slavery, but it's a positive, rewarding slavery. And the law that was given to Israel was a positive and rewarding slavery. These are the rules. You have to go to bed by 7.30, which, of course, is not in the Torah, but that's an example I give so that you can understand how the Torah were these rules. They were rules. This is what you have to do. And it's treating you like children. Now, we have another example of the heir, uh, the heir to an estate. His father is the, the lord and the master of the estate. He's the son who's going to inherit 
as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So children are under their parents. They have rules they have to live by. They're under their parents. The same thing with the children of Israel who had the law. They were like children. They they had the rules, um, but they they weren't mature yet, and it wouldn't be mature until the Messiah came to bring the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the irony of freedom and slavery is that if if you don't have the laws in your life, you've put yourself in bondage to the world. Think of teenagers. <laughs> teenagers, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to have any rules. I'm going to drive the car whenever I want to drive it, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. They think they're free from their parents' constraints, but in fact, they have put themselves in bondage to the world. Oh, I'm going to go out and drink some liquor, and I'm going to go have this, you know, this coke, try this cocaine, and I'm going to, you know, stay out late, and I'm going to have sex, and I'm going to do all these things. What they've done is they have put themselves in bondage to the ways of the world. This is the way the world operates. And it makes us think that we're free, but we're not free. We've actually put ourselves in bondage to the world. So true freedom is serving God. And we we see this in the Exodus account where God says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let my son go that he may serve me. Now that word for for serve is avad, which means to work, and to, to work for me, to serve me, to do to do my work. And, and as a slave, you're going to work for me. You're going to be my slave, my servant. You're going to do my work. By the way, the word is also used for worship, because true worship is submitting to God and work, working for him, serving him. And then, so we've got two kinds of, of freedom here. We've got, um, we've got forced um slavery, like slaves in Egypt and the, the Negro slaves in the United States. We've got benevolent slavery because the children are not mature enough to know that true freedom is to submit to their own rules. And now we're going to get into this third kind of freedom, which is a choice to submit in bondage to God. And we read that in Exodus. If the slave plainly says, I love my master, then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. So he was brought into the household as a slave, um, possibly as a, a forced slave, more probably as an indentured servant of some kind. He had to pay off a debt. Um, but he was a slave. Now he he has the freedom of choice to be a, a slave because he loves his master and he wants to serve his master for the rest of his life. This is the third kind of slavery, which we're going to find out in just a minute is true freedom. Now, we get a very interesting uh, phrase from Paul in Galatians. Paul says, Christ has set us free for freedom. So we're getting two concepts of freedom here. Number one, Christ has set us free. Number two, for the purpose of freedom. What we're seeing here are the two aspects of what I call salvation. They're also the two aspects of freedom. The first aspect is that you're set free when you first belong to God. 
you're set free because you know you're going to be with God at some time in the future. That's the promise of some of future eternal life with God. So in that sense, you're set free from sin and death by promise. That's how you're set free, by promise. And you belong to God, and by belonging to God, you have the promise that you will be with him at some time in the future. Now, Christ has set us free when we first believe in him. We've been set free from sin and death. Well, we've been set free from death, certainly, which is caused by sin. But why has God done this? It is for the purpose of freedom, and we are only free from sin when we submit and obey. So that's the daily walk. The daily walk is when we have an ability to walk in freedom. We have an ability to walk in the wholeness of life. We have an ability to walk in the salvation that God has has given to us by giving us the promise and by making us part of his family now. And by that, we have the promise. So we are free from sin when we submit and obey. When we submit and obey, we have become slaves or servants to what to that which we submit and to what we are obeying. So when we submit and obey, we are becoming servants to that which we submit and to what we are obeying. So Christ has set us free for freedom. Let's talk a little bit more about the, you know, how we walk in this freedom. What is the freedom that God has made available to us? We read that the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So this is that whole concept of the Holy Spirit writing the law on our hearts. So we no longer have the law in our heads which is what Israel was capable of. Israel had it in their heads to the extent that they could get the law into their hearts, they could walk in it. But it was much easier to get it into their heads than to get it into their hearts. Now we have, metaphorically, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit has written the law on our hearts. It's much easier easier for us now to to walk in the ways of the law because it's not in our head, it's in our hearts. And But it's it's been, it, it's, I call it, um, it, it's inactive, it's latent, it's sitting there waiting for us to put it into action. We have to put the key and turn the engine. And we do that by our love and faith in Christ. So we, we activate the Holy Spirit in us, which has written the law in our hearts. So when, when we walk forward in the faith and love of Christ, we are walking in the ways of the law. That's what we are doing. Now, I'm going to take you into some tough passages here that I think are going to come alive for you now. We read in Romans, for example, Paul says, We have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. And we're getting all this imagery. We were bound, all right? We, we were bound as slaves to the world. The world has put us into bondage. And the law was given so that we could know how to get ourselves out of slavery. And we get ourselves out of slavery by walking in the ways of God. But we've been released now from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we can serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So we've been released from the law because... The law is now written on our hearts. We've been released from the law by the Holy Spirit. 
which will guide us, which will lead us, which will direct us in the ways of God. Uh, we don't have to memorize 613 laws and put them in our heads. We don't have to do it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't study the Old Testament. Or if, of course we study the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, because, in my humble opinion, the New Testament is a commentary on the Old, and you, ca you cannot separate them. You, you have to see them as one unified message. So, of course, we study the Hebrew Scriptures, but we don't have to memorize 613 laws in order to walk in God's ways because they're written on our hearts. And we now, when we activate the law in our hearts, we are serving in newness of the spirit, and not in oldness of the letter. The letter is referring to the uh, to the old to the Old Testament, the uh, and the the, uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, so that explains Romans seven through six. Now let's take a look at Ephesians. It says, "Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth." So God has made us holy in the inside because we belong to him. But now it's like we have to put it on um, in order to, to walk in it. So we, we have the imagery of, of um, turning the key to get the engine going, to get the, you know, the Holy Spirit, to activate the Holy Spirit in us. Now we have an image of putting on... Um, this this new person that God has made available to us. We also get the same imagery when it says, clothe yourselves with righteousness. So God has the righteousness inside of you, but somehow you've got to activate it. And one way is to clothe yourself, to, to put on the new self, to and and um, which God has already created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, but now you have to put it on in order to walk in it. And then we get another one in Ephesians. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So um, I keep saying that, you know, you don't have to have the law in your mind. Well, what you're putting in your mind here is, is the knowledge of God. And you get that from the word of God. And, and so what you're doing is, is what's in your mind is what the world has put there. You've been brought up with, with what the wor world has created in your mind, your thoughts, your ways of acting and, and thinking and doing. That's all been put there by the world. You now have to renew. You have to get rid of that junky worldly stuff and put in what is is God, is of God, which is all light, all truth, you know, all all harmony, all peace, all of that. So I have a picture of a, a glass of dirty water, which is what the world has done to our mind. And then I have this glass of pure water, which is the word of God. So we pour the poor pour the pure water into the dirty glass and it only gets just a little bit clearer. It doesn't get all clear, it gets a little bit clearer. So we have to keep pouring more in and more in and more in. And this is as we're studying the Word of God and we're we're renewing the spirit of our minds with the Word of God and getting it getting it into our minds. So this whole concept of freedom and slavery is a very interesting one, and, and I, I want you to, to go away with the idea that to be truly free is to, is to know the rules yourself and to walk in the rules. The children had to be forced to obey the rules, to go to bed at 7.30. But as an adult, they know the rules and they can walk in the rules by themselves. Now as children, Israel had the law, which gave them the rules. Now, in maturity, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
which allows us to walk in the ways of the law. What happens when we walk in the ways of the law, it tells us in Ephesians 2.15, it makes the two, the Jew and the Gentile, into one new man. So we're neither Jew, the Jew had the law, or Gentile, okay, the Gentile now has the Holy Spirit, but are they walking in it? No, when they walk in it, it, it creates a new man. Neither Jew nor Gentile, but a new man. And we get the same thing in Galatians. Neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. So the circumcision refers to Israel. The uncircumcision refers to the Gentiles. What God is creating is a new man, a new creation. And he is doing that by setting you free for freedom. He sets you free when you first belong to him. You have the first aspect of salvation. You have the promise that you will be with God at some time in the future in a righteous condition. So you have been set free from sin and death by promise. And the reason he's done that is for freedom. So that you can walk in the freedom that he has made available to you, which is in his commandments, the law that he has written on your heart. And when you walk in those ways, you no longer you don't, you, don't, you don't need the laws, 113 laws, because you're, you're walking in that way. Now, uh, here in Ephesians, we read, I, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, this is very interesting because the, the author of Ephesians, that may or may not have been Paul, we think probably not Paul, someone who was perhaps a disciple of Paul. But anyway, the author of Ephesians says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm a prisoner. I'm in bondage. But I'm not in bondage to the ways of the world. I'm in bondage to my Lord Yeshua. That's who I'm in bondage to. And I have willingly put myself in bondage. I am going to be his servant for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm going to be his slave. The word for servant is slave. And and it's in bondage, but it's a willing choice. It's a, it's a free choice, a willing choice to be in bondage, to be a prisoner of the Lord. I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So, this the author of Ephesians has submitted as a, in, in service to God for the purpose of walking in righteousness. And he says, I implore you, do it just like me, just like me. You know, you can do it. You can do it. God has made it available for you. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. You have the law written on your heart. All you have to do is keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's all you have to do. And and commit in your heart to walking in the ways of God, and you will walk in the ways of God. And then it goes on, with uh, with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness. I think humility was the hardest thing I had to learn, because... I was brought up to be in charge of myself, to be in control of myself. Um, I was always tall from the time I was a young child, and, and so my my parents would tell me, you know, I looked beautiful tall, and I, I kind of came to believe that I, I was this strong person, <laughs> and and I thought I could handle everything in my life. And, of course, humility is to recognize that you can handle nothing in your life without turning to the Lord and being in total submission to him. So learning to be humble, is, a, is for me, was a very difficult thing, with all humility and gentleness. And I think gentleness is not something that you can 
describe in words. You just have to see people who are gentle. They're, they have a very gentle nature, a gentle heart. Uh, they don't condemn. They don't judge. Um, they, they pour out their love. That doesn't mean that they that you know they allow people to do ungodly things. They don't. They speak up when people are doing ungodly things. But their gentleness is, is a gentleness that, that comes from pure inner love. With patience, okay, patience is tough when you see people walking in the ways of the world, showing tolerance for one another in love. You know, we have a tendency to judge others, to think that we are right, and we want other people to be like us and to believe what we believe is right. Well, that's not what it's saying. Show tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is a powerful passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, and it helps us understand how Christ has set us free for freedom. So I'll do a little bit more with this in the next session, but in the meantime, think about what it means to be truly free. Shalom.